Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second edition of Payoff Pitch. Um, I'm Chris Steele. I'm joined this week by our Cardinals insider, Tara Wellman. Tara is a contributor to Birds on Black, so we're going to be focusing a lot on Cardinals baseball this week, which should be fun for everybody. How are you doing, Tara? I'm good. It is. I'm having a little bit of a hard time wrapping my brain around it's time to talk about baseball because it seems like it's been so long since we were able to do that without the weirdness of the 2020 season. So I'm good. I'm glad to see baseball back, but I'm, I feel like I have some catching up to do. <laughs> I feel the same way. It felt like last year we got the spring training in, you're getting ready for the season. Everybody's kind of like, do we have a fantasy baseball draft? Is there going to be a season at all? There were so many headwinds last year. And then it just felt like it made it hard to care after all of the, the struggles that went into having that major league baseball season last year. Yeah, it was so strange. Uh, a podcast that I do for birds on the black, my co-host and I, Alex, have continued to say it was really hard to care about baseball last year for a number of reasons. One, because of the sort of start and stop, the the oddities of the rules and the things that were implemented. Obviously, for Cardinals fans, there was a giant gap <laughs> after the season started as they were waiting to clear their own COVID issues. But then it also was just, it was sort of that sense of like, should we actually be playing baseball right now or right. not? That made it a little bit less fun than it normally is so hopefully we don't have as much of that although i think there's that's still a conversation to be had at this point but by the end of the summer hopefully we're not feeling that way about it anymore absolutely i mean just to start spring training people are just getting there and it feels like those covid cases just keep popping up on every team at this point yeah it feels almost like an inevitable thing at this point because as we know just from life and our, our own circumstances right. and situations, it's still everywhere. And it still pops up just about every time you turn the corner. And and that's the, that's the difficult thing, I think, about sort of buying into what's happening in the spring and if it's going to turn into 162 games and, and all of those pieces of this, because it still feels like everything is teetering on the edge of falling apart. Um, but <laughs> Alex and I were talking this last week that the NFL kind of set the standard, I think, for sports leagues just saying like, we're going to do it anyway, right. and plowing through it, even if there are, <laughs> you know, challenges and, and consequences and risks and, and all of those things. And for better or worse, they managed to get a season in where they were able to do pretty much what they wanted to from the outset and sort of adapt as they went along instead of trying right. to kind of set out this plan that wasn't going to change and, and all of that. So whether that's the right move or not, right. I'm not really in a position to say, but it does seem like that's that precedent has been set, which I think allows Major League Baseball to say, okay, we can take on the risk of some COVID cases on each of these teams as long as we have a clear plan to dealing with that and then just move forward with our season anyway and cross our fingers that it doesn't get any worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, in last year too, they didn't have any minor league baseball happening. So you had that player's pool. So you had people to just bring up automatically. I wonder how that's going to kind of work going into this year. Is it going to be that fluid, just bringing people up automatically? Yeah, that's, that became, let me back up. When that plan was introduced last year in order to start the season, obviously eliminating a minor league season on its own, there were questions about how the 40 man roster moves would work and the Cardinals and Marlins found out firsthand. Yeah. Not well, <laughs> didn't work well. There were a lot of changes, especially, I mean, the Cardinals, uh, we were joking about it uh, today with some people from birds on the black that there were so many major league debuts the week after the Cardinals returned to play that it was mind boggling. The number of players that they just had to use in order to be able to play. Right. Um, but that created a huge logjam in the 40-man roster and, and how those moves were able to be made. So they've eliminated some of that trouble in the rules for this year as far as those 40-man roster moves because they learned that that wasn't going to work based on what they saw last year. But they also learned that I think at the outset of last season, the idea was the, this pool of players was there that you could almost just like do a full line change and keep playing if you needed to. Right. 
which also didn't really work. <laughs> Very there true. was there was not really. Um, and I know I actually had a chance to talk to John Mozeliak in a, a group Q&A setting prior to the start of the season last year, uh, to the restart of the season, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, and and he was talking about their philosophy as an organization about what to do with that player pool. And it was complicated in that it needed to be used for players to kind of be replacement players, right? But they right. also only had that as a means of development for their top prospects. So they had right. to have this interesting balance of how many players do you put in that player pool who you really don't want to touch a major league roster. You just want them to have the, the in-person experience for development. But you also have to have enough players on that roster that you can swap them in and out sort of at will at the major league level. So it got very messy and complicated. And <laughs> I mean, that potential is still there this year. Today, they just announced the uh, start of the AAA season has been pushed back to kind of match those lower levels as well. And the Cardinals were talking about having a player pool available for that month of major league right. baseball, where there is no minor league season. So sort of recreating that John Mozeliak still not a big fan of it. <laughs> still not really uh, uh, doesn't like the idea of that being a development tool. Cause it's not really the same as, you know, games and competition and, and all those things but they do have to have players available who are still up to speed should they need those guys to, to sub in Absolutely. at the major league level. So all weird and all still a part of this <laughs> sort of trying to play baseball in the middle of a pandemic thing, but hopefully at least things like the 40 man roster moves are a little less complicated this season. Yeah. And one of the headwinds still could be, are fans going to be in the stands at some point during the season too? It seems like it's very fluid right now. A lot of optimism going into the summer, but when the rubber meets the road, that's when we're really going to find out what things are going to be like, how it's going to be implemented, what restrictions are going to be for everybody, if this is something that people are going to enjoy going back to. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting part of the conversation. I've had some people ask me that recently. What do baseball teams have to do to to get people back in the stands when they can or to keep people watching until they can? Right. I think for a lot of baseball purists, <laughs> they're going to watch no matter what. Right. There are some of us who love any version of baseball enough that we're going to keep watching. We're going to go when we can. I think there are two things. There are people who feel a lot like we said at the beginning of the show, weren't quite as interested last season with the lack of access and the, the strangeness of the season and, and all of those things. Um, but I also think there are gonna be people who have concerns and who are hesitant to go back into a stadium depending on what the protocols are, depending on what the safety measures are that are in place. And all that while you still have to keep fans interested. So. Okay. The, the TV side of it is as important as ever, perhaps more important than ever in creating that access. But even that is sort of at arm's length, right? Because they're calling games from the home stadiums and not traveling with the team. The reporters who tend to do those more featurey, get people involved because there's a connection to the players kinds of stories, right. don't have access to the players other than maybe a Zoom interview that's more of the group style exactly. instead of a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So it's all very weird and, and difficult to maintain that connection to the fans, which is, as we know, all important to every team in baseball that wants to then get fans back in the stands as soon as they can. I think speaking only about Cardinals fans, because that's what I know best, right. Cardinals fans are going to show up <laughs> whenever they can, whenever they get a chance to show up, they'll be there. Um, the question is, you know, how does the city of St. Louis make sure that that's as safe as possible and that there aren't unnecessary risks being taken? Although I think you could argue is going to a baseball game really a necessary risk? But nonetheless, um, <laughs> again, referring to the, uh, the NFL, a lot of those decisions about fans were kind of made team by team. And I anticipate something like that with Major League Baseball as well, just because of the differences in regions and, and what is um, acceptable, what is allowed, what is wise, <laughs> right. all of those things. So I don't know. I think keeping people interested is... I'm always a big proponent of the players can kind of sell the game if you market the players correctly. 
Mm-hmm. I don't always think Major League Baseball does a great job of that. Right. But this is, you know, now more than ever, they need to make players and teams visible however they can so that there's still that interest level for people to come back to it when they get a chance. Well, and Ballpark Village is such a huge part of that Cardinals experience, too. Having those two go hand in hand to come back in the right way, that's going to be a meaningful thing for Cardinals fans, right? Yeah, and it's interesting. There's a lot of new stuff at Ballpark Village. Kind of the next phase of Ballpark Village was in the works pretty much throughout last summer. And in a weird way, it almost works better that there weren't fans around, you know, kind of in the process of that buildup. And now it's all there and it's ready and it's ready to welcome fans back to it. So there is that little extra intrigue, that little extra um, spark of interest in what to do while you're downtown. There also are places there that you can watch the games without actually being in the stadium. So it still draws fans downtown and it still brings people, um, you know, into that area where it's not going to be that much of a stretch for people to then just cross the street (laughs) and go into the stadium when they can. But you're right. There is a lot of attention there. They've put a lot of work into making the area around ballpark village, um, a a very functional part of downtown St. Louis so that it just kind of, blends in with everything else that's going on and draws more people to it at the same time. Right. Well, um, just transitioning to uh, a happier topic than the whole COVID thing. Um, for Fantasy's Sake is very happy to announce that we've partnered with uh, Monkey Knife Fights. It's a daily fantasy sports gaming website for the casual sports fan that is simple, fun, and easy to play. Users determine which superstars compete in that day's professional sporting events and will record more or less than the contested line provided. Uh, Monkey Knife Fight's daily fantasy prop games play similar to the salary cap based games of other DFS games, but without the algorithms, lineups, and most importantly, the sharks that are out there to take your money. There are several contests to choose from, none of which are requiring hours of research or um, on that same way that they are on competing sites. Uh, start with a simple uh, two to two or go for the highest payouts, a uh, hundred times and higher by selecting an eight by eight more or less contest. Get started now with a hundred percent instant match bonus up to fifty dollars with promo code FS. I'm sorry, FFSQC for Fantasy Sake QC. Well, and Tara, the biggest like impact of the offseason to me was the addition of Nolan Arenado. How do you get around talking about that? It was the biggest splash that I don't think anybody really saw coming. How are Cardinals fans feeling about this acquisition? Uh, Cardinals fans are probably as happy about this as they have been about anything since they last had a World Series title to celebrate. Right. It's a, It's one of those things that in the the world of Cardinals fan speculation, and even as far as the front office is concerned, Nolan Arenado has been their guy for a long time. In fact, I happened to think I happened to think that he the the interest in Nolan Arenado is the reason they were not interested in Bryce Harper, the reason they were not interested in Manny Machado, the reason that they kind of held off on these other things because Nolan has been their guy for a long time and the front office and the ownership have basically said as much (laughs) and it was just a matter of can we put together the right pieces for a trade what's wild is that these were the right pieces for the trade (laughs) it seems like admittedly I was very shocked that the Cardinals actually did go through with something like this but I think my shock was sort of mitigated by the fact that oh that's all it took <laughs> because yeah. I w- I didn't expect them to do what I would have expected needed to be done for Nolan Arenado to, to be a St. Louis Cardinal. So uh, yeah, it, incredibly exciting. Obviously the chance to watch Nolan Arenado play every day is incredibly exciting for Cardinals fans. I think that there had been, <laughs> and you know, Cubs fans are as familiar with this as Cardinals fans are. There was a time over the winter where it was like, did the entire NL Central just have a group chat and decide, let's just not try this year? 
Cause that's what it seemed like. It was the strangest level of just like ambivalence with all of the teams in the NL central, just kind of like, Meh. Yeah. I mean, Meh. <laughs> it was so strange. So it was frustrating from a Cardinals fan perspective to, to look at that and think, you have to do very little to set yourself up as the automatic favorite in this division right now. And you're right. really not going to try anything. <laughs> and then to follow that up with Nolan Arenado, it was kind of like, oh, okay. You were, I get it. You were waiting on that. Um, but no, very exciting. I do think that the Cardinals still have a lot of questions to answer, maybe most importantly in their rotation. But adding Nolan Arenado defensively to an already strong infield defense and then adding his bat to kind of back up Paul Goldschmidt or the other way around however you want to want to stack that and right. maybe take a little pressure off of a new kid like Dylan Carlson and what he can become it changes the dynamic in a way that the Cardinals have not had a player change the dynamic arguably since Albert Pujols left I, I think right. there are some pieces along the way the Carlos Beltran years the Matt Holiday years all those pieces but those weren't necessarily one of the best players in the game kinds of players at the time that they were in St. Louis. So they've been looking for that billboard type guy. And that's not a knock on Paul Goldschmidt either, right? That was a big deal when he came over, but I don't think he quite has the, uh, that sort of elite something special that Nolan Arenado does. Plus he's not quite as young (laughs) as Nolan Arenado is. That makes a difference in baseball too. Absolutely. Well, and and the Rockies press conference after announcing the trade was like an introspective, like (laughs) self-examination of watching a franchise, like staring into its own open grave. It was disastrous. And they gave Arenado all the money and they still couldn't make him happy. Do Cardinals fans have anything to worry about if this thing starts to break bad in a way? Is he going to get upset and be that guy again? Yeah, I think there's definitely some concern there in the sense that, look, in the press conference introducing him as a Cardinal, he was asked kind of point blank by Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, what's it going to take for you to stay in St. Louis and not opt out? And he basically said, well, I'm not going anywhere, so move on. But he also said that in Colorado, and Cardinals fans are very aware of that. I think that as much as you know, people want to kind of pile on Cardinals fans for their uh, their ability to pat themselves on the back sometimes. Um, they're also very aware of, you know, okay, we've played this game before and you haven't been able to make a guy stay. So this isn't the Cardinals of the early 2000s where everybody wanted to be there, everybody wanted to play there, everyone wanted to stay there for the duration of their career. This is a different Cardinals era. And the idea of making Nolan Arenado want to stay when he didn't in Colorado is definitely something that the Cardinals fans are, are paying attention to. I think I would I would lean towards saying the same thing won't happen again simply because <laughs> of the press conference that we watched from the Rockies, where it was <laughs> it it was painfully clear how someone like Nolan Arnado could have been uncomfortable with the direction that the organization was sort of choosing not to go, right? Um, The Cardinals are never going to spend money like the Dodgers or like the Yankees or, you know, they're not that team. They're not that market. But they do have, regardless of how other fan bases perceive it, they do have an expectation of themselves that is, we're going to be competitive every year. Now, I think Cardinals fans would argue, (laughs) what's your definition of competitive? Because is it squeak into the playoffs and see what happens? Or is it, let's go try to win a World Series? Mm-hmm. The latter of which has not seemed to be their their game plan in the last several years. But there is an expectation of, we're going to be an organization that can rebuild without rebuilding. And I think that sort of philosophy maybe is more in line with what Nolan Arnato is hoping for in his employer, rather than, oh, we gave you a bunch of money, but now we're not going to back it up. So sorry about your plans to win a world series. <laughs> I don't, I don't expect that to happen <laughs> in St. Right. Louis. So I don't really expect that same issue to be a reason that, that uh, Arnada would in fact opt out. Would it become kind of burdensome for the Cardinal at a certain point because of that? He 
one of the best players in baseball because he is one of the best players in baseball. Does that keep them from continuing to build? Because it feels like right now, one more starting pitcher could really help this team. And like Jake Odoruzzi is just hanging out out there. And that's a name that a lot of people are saying right now. So what's keeping them from pulling the trigger on somebody like that? If I knew that, uh, <laughs> they would have to pay me a lot more money. More. They don't pay me any money. <laughs> um, no, it's a great question, especially when you think about the fact that because of the way that that deal was created, which still kind of boggles my mind a little bit, the Cardinals aren't actually paying Nolan Arnato this year. Right. <laughs> the Rockies are. So right. they got one of the best <laughs> players in baseball while the Rockies are paying him and they saved themselves a million plus by offloading Dexter Fowler to the Angels. So it's not like the money isn't there to do something to fortify the rotation this year. The thing that I think is maybe an Achilles heel for the St. Louis Cardinals, which I say that it's also one of the reasons they've been able to be successful without having to spend the kind of money that a lot of other teams have. They, they value their guys more than anyone else in the league does. <laughs> and sometimes that's, that's hurtful because they hold on to a guy so long that then they don't develop into what they think they're going to. And there's no trade value. We've seen that happen. Gotcha. Um, they also believe more in the players they already have sometimes than the players they could go get. So while I think that's a good thing in the sense that this is a team that has learned how to develop players, particularly pitching, they're a little blind to some of the imperfections sometimes. And I think that their philosophy of, no, we're good, we're just going to utilize what we have, sometimes sometimes keeps them from getting something better. And in my mind, in my opinion, that's sort of the pitching situation at this point, which I do think could be a significant problem for them. As much as Nolan Arnato adds offensively, this still is probably not going to be the best offense in the National League. They're still going to depend on pitching and defense because that's how this team is built. Um, but there are questions about nearly every spot in the rotation, and yeah. those questions have only been exaggerated in this first week of spring training games, right? Miles Michaelis was pushed back yeah. for cautionary reasons, which is <laughs> never good. Um, <laughs> KK pitched today and his velocity was super low and they don't really seem to know why that's not usually a great sign either. There are reasons to be optimistic about what this rotation could be. There are also reasons to feel like this rotation is very, very fragile without someone a little bit more battle tested <laughs> to slide in as necessary. So I agree. Um, Jake Odorizzi is definitely on the radar for a lot of Cardinals fans and for a lot of uh, sort of people analyzing the Cardinals from the outside going, this seems like a pretty easy addition to solidify some things. But I think that, again, maybe it's simultaneously good and bad for them. They really, really value the guys that they've already put a lot of work into. And they like to try to make that the way that they succeed instead of looking elsewhere. What and to just take a quick second, we want to thank our sponsors of the show tonight, Yard Barbers. Uh, hate spending those long summer days doing yard work. Uh, we just have the solution for you at Yard Barbers LLC. Yard Barbers LLC is local full service lawn care company looking to provide the Quad Cities with quality and affordable, affordable outdoor services. Don't wait and fall to the back of the line. Contact Yard Barbers early right now for a free yard evaluation and estimates. Find Yard Barbers on Facebook at Yard Barbers LLC or send them an email at yardbarbersqc at gmail.com. And I'm just really fascinated by a lot of facets of this Cardinals team, Tara. Last week on the show, we kind of talked about the Braves and what they did in adding former Cardinal Cardinal uh, Marcel Ozuna to that lineup, uh, and he allowed Freddie Freeman to go from a great first baseman to the best player in baseball. Uh, it just shows how important that lineup construction can be. Adding somebody like Arenado to kind of bolster Goldschmidt 
is that really going to be one of the bigger effects on this lineup is not only adding a great player like Arenado, but bolstering Goldschmidt as well? I think the dynamic shift in the lineup for the Cardinals is not even just for Paul Goldschmidt as far as the benefits of Arenado. I think the ripple effect there is incredibly significant because uh, the Cardinals, and this is one reason that uh, you know they've, they've been able to say at the trade deadline, well, we didn't make a move just to make a move because we weren't just one player away from something magical, right? Now, <laughs> a player like Nolan Arnato may be the kind of one player that does make a significant impact, but you're right. Paul Goldschmidt was never on his own going to completely remake the Cardinals offense because if there wasn't anyone in front of or behind him that was a particularly consistent threat, any any team can pitch around Paul Goldschmidt as they need to most of the time, right? Um, you know, he was able to make the numbers look a lot better last year for the most part than he did in, yeah. in 2019. And kind of when you look at the season overall, it wasn't as bad as it felt at times, even in 2019. Um, but the consistency wasn't there. The driving in of runs wasn't really there. He was often, even when he hit home runs, they were solo home runs because there was no one on base in front of him. So I agree. I think the, the, construction of that lineup every day is going to be really important. And I think there's still some questions because taking Colton Wong out of the mix, taking Dexter Fowler out of the mix, I'm not sure who leads off for this team. It's probably Tommy Edmond, the switch hitter at the top of the order, right. but the, there are some questions about that as well. And, and his ability to, um, you know, not go into some pretty lengthy slumps of his own. So there are at the top of the, the lineup. I'm not exactly sure what you do. I think the idea is that Dylan Carlson will live up to his minor league expectations and be kind of in that top four somewhere. Uh, but Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado back to back again, like I said, whichever order you put them in, because I've seen rosters uh, lineups constructed either way and arguments for both. Mm -hmm. It makes the opportunities for both of them better because at some point you're going to have to pitch to one of them. And in theory, the, just that additional fear factor in the lineup is going to require some different strategy and a different approach from a lot of pitchers uh, that the Cardinals saw who were quite effective with a pretty, pretty clear strategy uh, at times that was, you know, lefty who throws soft junk in the dirt <laughs> probably gonna no hit the cardinals um so yeah it'll be interesting to see if if there's an additional sort of hitting style change this year they've they're in this process with jeff albert of kind of trying to remap what a hitting approach looks like it hasn't worked very well on the surface uh, I'm I'm still holding out hope that it's just a very sharp learning curve, and maybe this is the year that it finally starts to click for some guys. But I do I do think that Arnado makes Paul Goldschmidt better. Those two both in the lineup together take pressure off Dylan Carlson, who kind of came up last year and was unfairly expected to save the day offensively. And then that allows for a guy like Harrison Bader to kind of have a sneaky good year at the plate when he's been pretty disappointed and frustrated with that in the past. So when all the attention is on Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato, it also opens up those opportunities for some of those other players that are kind of like right there, but haven't broken through just yet. Well, and it sometimes it does take a guy a year. And like you were saying, Goldie looked very uncomfortable that first year in St. Louis. He looked more like himself last year. Now we're two years removed from him being the consistent like five war player. Who should we expect to see this year? Is it just going to be a bounce back year and he's going to be the same guy again? Or, or where do we kind of find that that barometer on him? You know, I have a really hard time gauging expectations of Paul Goldschmidt. Admittedly, I have been a big Paul Goldschmidt fan for years, far past, far, far beyond when he uh, ended up in St. Louis. I think that 
there is a little bit of when when you watch someone from a distance, you only right. see their numbers at the end of the year most of the time, right? I'm not watching Paul Goldschmidt every single night. I don't see the the strikeouts with a fastball right down the middle. I don't see some of those things that were still a problem in Arizona. They just weren't the the thing that was visible to people from you know a distance looking at Paul Goldschmidt and going, wow, he did it again. There's another home run, uh, you know, those sorts of things. So I, I think that to some extent there was an expectation that might've been a little unfair <laughs> that the highlight reel version of Paul Goldschmidt that we all saw, uh, you know, on, on baseball highlights at the end of the day was the everyday version of Paul Goldschmidt. That said, you're right. He didn't look comfortable in 2019. I think last year we saw a little bit more of what he is used to, but I also think that he just, he never had a lot of consistent protection in the lineup. And I know some people discredit that a little bit as far as how that impacts the player's overall numbers. But I think there were times where Paul Goldschmidt felt like he had to do it all himself, which doesn't ever help anyone to not press at the plate. Um, There were also times where he would strike out with the bases loaded. And somehow that's just a thing that happens to you when you become a Cardinal. Uh, It's just like a, a, I don't know, a rite of passage or something um, that everyone has to do a certain number of times, I think. So the, the offense as a whole was frustrating. I think, Going back to the Jeff Albert thing, not only did Paul Goldschmidt come to a new division, he came to a new organization, but to a, a hitting approach that was in some sort of metamorphosis on its own. So trying to do all of that at once probably didn't help the uh, the, the comfort level um, in that first year or first two years. He's a baseball guy. Like everyone that you talk to about Paul Goldschmidt, he's just going to talk baseball and the depth of his knowledge is impressive. So I say that to say that if there's something to the Jeff Albert philosophy, that just kind of takes you a little while to really figure it out in a way that you can apply it. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised if this is the year that Paul Goldschmidt is able to take all of that, feel comfortable in his surroundings and look much more like the, uh, you know, MVP caliber player that we've seen in the past. But the reality is th- th- there's a an occasionally a sharp decline when guys in baseball, even at the, the, the peak of their performance, get past that peak and it, they never quite get back up to that point. So I'm not suggesting that Paul Goldschmidt is never going to be that guy again. Um, but I think there is that concern that maybe the best of Paul Goldschmidt is over. That also doesn't mean it's not still really good what you get from him in a season where there's a compliment <laughs> to what he's able to do like Nolan Arenado. Well, and one player who's similar to that, I think, is kind of Matt Carpenter. Um, he's a guy with uh, Colton Wong heading off to Milwaukee, who may be getting a shot along with Tommy Edmond uh, to get some time at second base there. But if you think about Carpenter, uh, you go back to 2018, he's a fringe um, MVP candidate. Now he's fighting for time with a guy like Tommy Edmond. So it's just, it can catch up with you fast. And what can we kind of expect from a guy like Carpenter this year if he's going to be splitting time? Matt Carpenter is such an interesting sort of case study for me as far as how Cardinals fans react to him. If you actually just look at Matt Carpenter's numbers and the contributions he's made since, I mean, he kind of, hit the roster for like a minute in 2011. And then after that was when his, his major league career really took off. Um, This is a guy who didn't have a position in 2012 because he was coming onto a roster that had some guy, David freeze had a pretty good postseason, I guess, playing at third base. So he didn't really have a, a starting spot. 2013, he was asked to learn how to play second base, not something he'd ever done before. He was an all-star at the position after everyone from the outside in said, oh, he'll never be able to do it. His footwork isn't good enough. He's not athletic enough. He'll never be able to. He was an all-star that that season and went on to have a few of the most successful seasons in recent Cardinals history. The 
resume is all there for Matt Carpenter, but as most baseball fans are, uh, Cardinals fans can be a little bit, what have you done for me lately? And mm -hmm. lately it's not been good. And right. Matt Carpenter is the first person to tell you that, right? These guys know when they're not playing well. Uh, and, and he's been more frustrated than anyone that he hasn't been able to figure out what went wrong and how to fix it. Um, there have been a couple of things in the last few years where, you know, he went to the, the analytics team and said, okay, tell me what I'm doing wrong. And they were basically like, your numbers are fine. You're just getting unlucky. <laughs> and that's not really helpful, but at least he was like, okay, I don't need to do some dramatic swing adjustment. Last year, that wasn't the case. The underlying numbers didn't show a whole lot of positives in what he was doing coming into camp again this year for like the third season, he's basically said, I feel really good about the work that I put in over the off season, but he's also in an unfamiliar position where, as you mentioned, he's not, he doesn't have a starting job right now. And the idea of him defensively at second base is a little scary for some people who think that Tommy Edmond is the far superior defensive second baseman. But if Matt Carpenter can get back to some variation of that offensive player that made him an MVP caliber player, you have to have that in the lineup, right? You you can't you can't have that guy sitting on your bench and feel like you're putting your best lineup out there every day. So what to expect from Matt Carpenter is a total mystery because it seems like no one's been able to figure out what went wrong. And if, like we were just sort of alluding to, he's just past that point where he can be that guy. It's going to be a frustrating season for him kind of coming to that conclusion. He's also the kind of guy though that, and I heard him just yesterday in an interview saying, this is a great position for me to be in because I have to prove myself. I have to earn my spot. I have to do what people are telling me can't be done. And that's always when Matt Carpenter has been at his best. So I don't know how much you can buy into that at this stage of his career, but it's certainly a good mindset for him to be in if he can be the kind of doubles hitting OBP guy that launched him to the top of the lineup years ago, that would be a huge asset for this team yeah. that, like I said, doesn't have a, a, a leadoff guy locked in at this point. Yeah. But that's a big if. <laughs> well, and thinking about second base and players who may be playing out of position there, one player that I was very excited to see before their Arenado trade happened was Nolan Gorman. He's somebody that's really caught my eye in the minor leagues. Uh, after the Arenado trade happens, he goes on Instagram and he says, can we get Dustin Pedroia to come and teach me how to play second base? So I, I just, I like that he's thinking about where he could potentially fit in this team in the future, but he's somebody who also was considered to be kind of not a great defender, even at third base. So is there any real possibility to him eventually becoming a second baseman or continuing to be on the infield or maybe even shifting back to the outfield? Yeah. It's a really interesting thing when the player themselves right. is like, I'm going to change positions. Okay. Right. <laughs> um, that's not the way it usually happens. I think that there has been some reservation to moving him off of third base for a couple of reasons. One, they've, they've really been working with him on, on things like footwork and, and kind of the mechanics of his throw from third base. Um, there's a lot of development to still happen and, and polish to still happen there. Plus there's a lot that could happen in the meantime <laughs> before he's actually in a position to make the major league roster that it might not be a bad thing for him to stay uh, stay the course a little bit at third base. Um, our prospects guy over at Birds on the Black just recently was saying, maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit on reworking everything about who Nolan Gorman is defensively. Um, but I would also say, as much as I said, Nolan Arenado is, and, and Paul Goldschmidt both really, are kind of like baseball junkies <laughs> that mm -hmm. will study film and will dig into what works and what doesn't. And they, they know what they need to do to improve on something. Uh, Nolan Gorman is a guy that took baseball seriously from a really, really young age and not just seriously in terms of, I want to be a pro baseball player, but in terms of how do I get better? And there's a lot of work for him to do offensively to 
eliminate some of the holes in his swing. We all know his power. We all know his pop. I will never forget. I saw Nolan Gorman in Peoria uh, the the first year after right. he was drafted. There is a distinct sound to the ball coming off of the bat when he squares one up. And I think he hit three home runs that night. And it was just like, <laughs> how do you stop this kid? There it is. Yeah. But that's, not as consistent as you would like it to be. I mean, when someone kind of sells out for that power, which is one of his strengths, obviously, yeah. uh, there are some other things that that get lost in the wayside as far as some of the consistency, uh, hitting for average, those sorts of things. He gets a little bit predictable sometimes at this point. And, you know, some of the higher levels of the minor leagues might expose that until he can make that adjustment. But defensively, to get back to your question, I think he's the kind of baseball junkie <laughs> that would put in the work if it meant he could play. And much like I said, Matt Carpenter kind of turned himself over the course of one off season into a second baseman that was more than just serviceable. I don't know that Nolan Gorman is ever going to be Colton Wong defensively at second base, right. but I don't think there's a whole lot of question that he would put everything he had into learning that position if it meant that he had a place to play. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of guy I want making that transition if someone has to make that move. But I don't know that it's going to be necessary at this point. We don't know how right. things are going to shake out between now and when Nolan Gorman is actually ready to be a major leaguer. And I think there's enough work to do offensively as well that he doesn't need to become a second baseman overnight. <laughs> okay, makes sense. Well, and then to kind of keep it in the middle infield there, um, Paul DeJong, uh, really had an odd season last year. Um, weighted runs created plus of 86. Um, do you just chalk that up to a weird year and not enough time to get back on track? Or is there a reason for concern here? I do think it was a weird year. I am very strongly of the opinion that the Cardinals in the last couple of years, except for when he was injured and couldn't play, don't give Paul DeYoung enough rest. Um, he's the kind of player that when he gets tired, when he gets off, it's like a snowball and it starts rolling downhill and you can't stop it. And then all of a sudden you've got this slump that no one knows how to get him out of. When he is rested, when he is not the only guy that can play at the shortstop position, he seems to be much better. Um, the Cardinals haven't had a great alternative option as a backup at shortstop in the last couple of years, that, which has been a problem when Paul DeYoung's been hurt, right? So they've had to put somebody in a position that wasn't great, that they weren't super comfortable with. They haven't developed uh, somebody at the minor leagues who was just right there ready to step in. Um, interestingly enough, Evan Mendoza is a player, a minor league guy that kind of turned himself into a shortstop over the offseason and put in some impressive work. He's caught some eyes already this spring, the attention of some of the, like I said, our, our prospect guy at Birds on the Black, um, not necessarily to single out Mendoza, but to say, I think if either someone, a, a minor league guy that could come up and, and take on that challenge, or even Tommy Edmond at shortstop as necessary could... Right give Paul DeYoung a little bit more scheduled rest in terms of maybe you don't wait until he's in the middle of a slump to give him a day off, but you right. kind of schedule those in. I think that would help him. Um, I think that the the injuries he's dealt with in the last couple of years, even the minor ones have come at very unfortunate times where he wasn't really able to get back on track towards the end of the season. But as far as last year is concerned, I don't know what the right answer is to looking at anything that comes from last year right. because it was such an absurd circumstance and such a, you know, compressed timeline that if you played that out over 162 games, he might've rebounded and been just fine. Right. Um, so I, I, I'm not too concerned about last season. I think there's been enough positive progress for Paul DeYoung, both defensively and at the plate that, there's there's still a lot to like there. It's just a matter of kind of keeping him fresh and keeping him on track and not letting him kind of slog through those big slumps that turn into kind of disastrous stats when you look at the numbers. Well, and one player, we were talking just a little bit ago about that sound that Nolan Gorman makes when he hits that ball square. 
a player who I've been a big fan of since the minor leagues um, is Tyler O'Neill. And I just love his potential, but it feels like the outfield's been so crowded over the last few years that he's struggled to get that consistent playing time with Dexter Fowler being reunited with Joe Madden. What can we expect from Tyler O'Neill since it seems like he's going to get a really good shot at playing every day this year? Tyler O'Neill is such an interesting player to me in a number of reasons, in a number of respects, I should say. One, like one of the biggest dudes <laughs> that right. you can imagine who's also actually quite agile <laughs> and athletic <laughs> and one of the fastest players actually in the league uh, when you you know do sprint times and that sort of thing. He's he's a, a a kind he's a like a prototype of a player that just doesn't make sense in my brain. Uh, but you're right when he when he gets a hold of one, it goes a long way, and uh, and all that all that muscle, that upper body strength shows off when he squares one up. That's for sure. He's he's pretty um, solid defensively, although he won a Gold Glove last year, and I went really <laughs> okay. Uh, just. Again, I think that the strangeness of last yeah. season allowed for some of those stats to stack up in ways that because those awards were given out b based on statistics alone last year, it was kind of like, huh, I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. that was happening. <laughs> um, but no, you're right. The, the playing time has been hard to come by, not just because of Dexter Fowler, but also because I don't know if Tyler O'Neill just needs to be more of a vocal presence in the dugout or what, but he's the kind of guy that it feels like every once in a while, the entire field staff forgets that he's there. And it's just yeah. like, who do we have left? Who hasn't played today? And Tyler O'Neill's just like, hi guys, <laughs> it's <Yeah>. me. <laughs> I'm over here. Uh, no, it, it's, it's a little bizarre the way that they've handled the playing time for Tyler O'Neill this year. It feels like there's no reason for him to not play nearly every day. There's still a handful of outfielders in that mix. Lane Thomas is someone that the organization was pretty high on coming into last season. And then he really was a, a disappointment as far as what he put out there last year. Again, weird season, whatever. Right. Uh, Justin Williams coming in as a guy that a lot of people like to maybe be one of the bench players for this team. Austin Dean is another guy. So there are a lot of names out there, but I right. think Tyler O'Neill, maybe for the, the first time, although I think you could say last season as well, is really penciled into that left field position uh, and maybe in like heavy pencil, not just yeah. sort of a question mark at the end. <laughs> well, and uh, talking about prospects a lot here and recent questions here, it, Dylan Carlson, somebody you've brought up several times now. The only thing that I really worry about with him is he showed flashes last year of how he can be a top 25 overall prospect. Are they going to be rushing him kind of by throwing him in last year? You wanted to get him some of that playing time. That's why you wanted him up on this roster and playing. But now it feels like he's going to inherit a spot in that outfield to start almost every day. Would it be better to have him start in the minor leagues, get hot, and then bring him up on a hot streak? Or just put him out there and see what he can do? Yeah, it's a great question. I think... The bottom line is the minor leagues really don't have a whole lot more to offer Dylan Carlson yeah, in terms of, yeah, in terms of, of what else he needs to learn there or what right. else he could develop at that point. I do think, you know, every young guy at some point kind of needs a reset, right? We've seen that with players in all organizations. Sometimes they're the top prospect. They come up and they kind of just lose themselves in the pressure of the moment go back down to AAA for a, a hot minute, and then they're fine. Because of the delayed start of the AAA season, I don't expect that the Cardinals will delay the start to the Dylan Carlson season. Mm -hmm. I, I also think that part of the unfortunate reality of being a top prospect is that when you come up, there is an insane amount of pressure. When you come up as a top prospect, in an organization that overvalues its prospects and has a serious <laughs> offensive problem, the amount of pressure that Dylan Carlson was under last year when he made his major league debut, even in the strangeness of last season, was enormous. And 
look, not everybody is going to be Fernando Tatis where they come up and make their right. debut. And all of a sudden they're the best player in baseball in the, in the minds of many. Right. Um, that's not normal. <laughs> there is generally a learning curve that affects even the, the top most prospects. So at, at this point, I'm not worried about Dylan Carlson not living up to potential. I think the biggest thing that that can happen for him is to kind of pretend like last season didn't happen in terms of it was a weird thing that everyone was a little thrown off by. He made his major league debut so he can get that pressure out of the way. He's not the story of the lineup this year because that's Nolan Arenado. And if Dylan Carlson can just get back to doing what he did at the minor leagues, look, there's a difference in major league pitching every single night, right? They're going to adjust to you differently than minor league guys are going to adjust to you. Dylan Carlson made a career in the minor leagues with his ability to adjust back. That's what he needs to be able to do at the major league level. And he was swinging at pitches that he normally doesn't swing at. He was kind of jumping out of his shoes at things that it was like, what, what is this version of Dylan Carlson? What are we right. seeing here? So, just erase it, forget that it happened and go back to doing what he knows he's capable of doing. And then I think that's when those flashes that we saw last season will be more of a, a consistent basis. I always have a hard time sort of crowning a prospect, the, you know, superstar of the future until they've done something at the major league level. I think it, it adds to that pressure and it creates maybe this impossible scenario where they have to live up to some version of reality that doesn't actually exist. But I think there's enough to like about Dylan Carlson that if he can just sort of slide into almost a role player position this year and rebuild that confidence, ignoring what happened last year, then he's in a position to join the, the Goldschmidt Arnato duo and uh, make it a trio at some point this year or into next. Well, and if you look at, I think it was Kyle Tucker, who with the Astros kept getting brought up, kept struggling over and over and over again. Last year, he's kind of under the radar. All of a sudden, people are starting to think that maybe the arrows pointed down on him. He has a career year in 2020, and he looks every bit of the player he was projected to be. So, I mean, if Carlson even struggles and has to be sent down at a certain point, there's no shame in that because he's going to be back and maybe even better than before. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was saying earlier. I, I totally agree. I think sometimes even the best prospects get a little ahead of themselves when they get to that major league stage. And it's almost like once the, once the struggle starts, it just compounds on itself. Uh -huh. And going back to that, that minor league scene can kind of be like, Okay, one, I don't want to be here. <laughs> so how do I get out of my own way so that I can get back to where I want to be? But two, okay, I can reset without the pressure of the stage of the major leagues. And, uh, you know, even sometimes it's as simple as somebody that they clicked with, a hitting coach yeah. or, you know, some instructor at the minor league level that can say, hey, what are you doing? This isn't this isn't who you are as a, as a baseball player. Let's get back to doing what you know and, and what has worked for you all this time instead of trying to suddenly do something different because you're a big leaguer now. Um, and sometimes that's all it takes. Colton Wong uh, is an example of that several years ago now. He ended up going back down to AAA in a very frustrating season. I think it was the last year of uh, the Mike Matheny um, era in St. Louis, which is a whole other thing as far as Colton Wong is concerned. But yeah. Um, that trip down to to AAA, he even said, you know, kind of right at the ship because it was like he could stop, take a breath, communicate with some people that he communicated with well in his time, uh, you know, developing in the minor leagues, and remember what he was what he was good at in the first place. So yeah, no no shame in that. I think there's certainly frustration and maybe a little disappointment that it didn't. Yeah, that you weren't the Fernando Tatis version of a prospect right. who comes up and never looks back. But that, like I said, that's not the norm and that's totally fine. Well, Jack Flaherty in 2019 was one of the very best pitchers in baseball. Last year, his walk rate was up, his home run rate was up. Uh, what can we really expect from him this year? It seemed like People were driving the ball on him last year a lot more than I ever saw in 2019. Is there reason for concern or is he still one of the very best in baseball at this point? 
I still think that he has every bit of potential to be kind of that 2019, really second half of 2019 version of Jack Flaherty. Um, when he was at his best, that slider was a strikeout pitch that nobody could touch. We didn't see that pitch from him a whole lot last season. There was a little bit less command on the fastball that then he couldn't throw that pitch like he did in 2019. But keep in mind, Jack Flaherty... <laughs> Jack Flaherty threw bullpens by throwing against a mattress in a hotel in Milwaukee for a week and a half. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the interruption to Jack Flaherty's season was a bit strange. And then they were extremely yeah. cautious with working him back into games, right? If you remember when he came back into that rotation, he would only go 35 pitches and then 50 pitches. He was on a very limited pitch count. It was sort of strange. The, the, sort of extreme nature of their limits on Jack Flaherty. I think the idea was this is a weird season where pitchers are going to get hurt a lot. Let's yeah. not injure the guy that is our, you know, future. Oh, yeah. case, right. Yeah. So uh, I think Jack himself was a little frustrated that they didn't just let him throw, <laughs> but I think there were reasons for that much beyond the 2020 season. Um, he did struggle in his first outing in the spring I have a hard time taking a whole lot from 39 pitches the first yeah. time he throws in the spring uh, because it was, you know, command was not quite as pinpoint as it is when Jack's throwing his best, but there also was, I mean, not to make excuses for him, but uh, Angel Hernandez was behind the plate and in <laughs> mid-season form, uh, <laughs> I must say. No rust there. Um, well, with spring so, training, you never know if guys are working on stuff. Exactly, yeah. And that's, that's the hard part about taking anything – without a giant grain of salt in the spring is that he threw 39 pitches. He wasn't happy with them, but I don't know what his game plan was that day. I don't know what he was trying to accomplish in the, the inning plus that he threw that just wasn't working for him. So no, to answer your question, I'm not super worried about Jack Flaherty. I think that um, actually it was interesting after that outing in his first spring training game, he was really hard on himself. And he is sort of by nature, very hard on himself. Uh, he told a, a local reporter who was asking kind of, was it this? Was it that? What happened? Was it the, the uh, strikes that weren't called? And he basically was like, no, I just was bad today. And that's it. I was just bad today. But my concern with Jack Flaherty has occasionally been there's a, a little bit, just a very subtle difference in a guy who is critical of himself in a way that is helpful and a guy that is so critical of himself that it becomes this sort of negative cloud that he can't get past. And I, I mentioned that about Jack Flaherty. And then sure enough, a day later, there was an article that came out where Adam Wainwright basically went to Jack Flaherty and was like, buddy, you need to like take it easy on yourself. It's it's okay <laughs> to not, you know, it's fine. The, comp the competitive nature is great. Uh, but you don't want to turn that into something that then becomes more of a problem. So uh, Adam Wainwright is there to kind of keep him in check sometimes, and his stuff is all there. Like I said, that slider is the strikeout pitch. He wasn't able to throw it as much as he would have wanted to last year because he was pitching behind in the count a lot, and you know that eliminates some of your options there. So I'm not worried at this point. He's not notoriously a fast starter in terms of his numbers looking really good out of the gate. Mm -hmm. um, he does kind of have to build up to that. So uh, don't don't panic, Cardinals fans, if he doesn't look super <laughs> great the first you know week or so of uh, of the season. <laughs> well, and speaking of Wainwright, did he kind of get a gift last season in just being able to go out there every single time, not? have that many starts to kind of be a like a daunting like total just go out there every time and throw everything that he had and just knowing that it could be his last go round it's not because he's coming back this year but did he kind of benefit from last year in that sprint season yeah I'm super interested to see what a full length season looks like for Adam Wainwright at this point in his career because you're right the advantage of Adam Wainwright in 2020 was that there was one, nothing to lose. <laughs> there was a very limited number of days on the calendar. And there were also all those double headers that were seven inning double headers where, you know, if Adam Wainwright went five innings, 
he'd more than done his job. Now there were occasions where he went all seven innings and it was like classic yeah. <laughs> back in the day, Adam Wainwright, nobody's going to touch him. And you're not really sure how, because at this point it's not velocity that is striking guys out. It's just sort of that craftiness of what Adam Wainwright can do to keep guys off balance. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to, to, it will be interesting to see what a full length season looks like. I will say last year was, he dealt with injury after injury after injury uh, in, you know, the previous, I don't know, three or four seasons. And even at some point last season, when people were like, how are you doing this? How are you pitching this well at this point in your career? Mm -hmm. He more or less said that last season was the first time he felt healthy in a really long time. And so the age factor is there, right? You're looking at a 39-year-old pitcher uh, who you expect to be on the downside of their career and at times has looked like that, right? There have been times in yeah. the previous, I don't know, 2019, 2018 even, when Adam Wainwright walked off the mound after a bad performance and we were all like, we might not ever see him again. Right. So then to rebound like he did last year, kind of wild the way that it happened, but in his mind, he felt like he was capable for the first time in a really long time. So I'll be curious to see how, you know, what's the, what's the gap there between the, the age factor and the health factor and what that looks like in terms of his efficiency. Um, because that's a key for Adam Wainwright is, is that efficiency. If he keeps the pitch count down in the first three innings, then he's probably off to the races um, where he gets in trouble is when he doesn't, have that strikeout pitch and he gives up a run or two in the first inning. Um, he might shut it down for three or four innings after that, but he's not going to be able to go as deep into games. So I don't know. Last season. Yes. I think was a, a gift in the sense that he didn't have to think about what happens after the all-star break um, this season he does. And it'll be interesting to see if that I really feel healthy for the first time in a long time thing holds up or if the age kind of catches up with him in the second half. Well, and just as we wrap up, one of the players that I really have no idea what to make of is Kwon Hyung Kim. Uh, he had an amazing ERA last year. Uh, he didn't get very many swings and misses. Um, strikeout rate wasn't that great. But uh, his overall profile, you still look at it, and he's got this ERA that's um, unbelievable. He got hit really hard, though, at the same time. So <laughs> it's like, how do you kind of justify what he can be and if he's going to be a, a good pitcher this year or what to expect out of him? I think some of that for me, you have to credit to the unfamiliarity of the league with him as a pitcher coming over to Major League Baseball for the first time. I think we see that often with players coming from international leagues and looking great in their first season and then the league kind of figuring out a little bit more of what to expect from them. Although I will say he's another one that is just able to do enough to keep guys off balance, to keep them. Yes, he got hit hard at times. Uh, credit to the, the St. Louis Cardinals defense for a lot of kind of making those numbers look a little better than they are at times. Um, but he's also really good at kind of getting guys to just roll over on something or hit it right yeah. at the defense or, you know, create those ground ball plays that the Cardinals were very effective at taking advantage of last year. So yeah, not a pitcher that profiles as someone who's going to blow you away or someone who has just like ridiculous movement on their pitches, mm -hmm. not a swing and miss kind of right. guy, but he keeps hitters off balance. And maybe some of that was not really knowing what to expect from him. We'll see how that holds up this year. Uh, as I mentioned, he started uh, on Wednesday for the Cardinals in their spring training game. Um, and the, the velocity was a little weird. And even afterwards, he was like, I don't, I don't know what was wrong with the velocity. We'll have to try to figure that out. So hopefully that doesn't mean anything at this <laughs> point. But yeah, I think very similar to, not similar in terms of their repertoire, but similar in terms of the effect of Adam Wainwright is that it's more about keeping guys off balance than it is about missing a whole lot of bats. Right. Well, in a league that is velocity, 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 <laughs> he only tops out usually probably averaging around 90. Yeah. But his fastball, uh, you look at the, the batting average against and it was like 182. So it just it doesn't seem to make sense other than maybe his placement is perfect or he's just getting them at the right time or mixing things up like you're saying. 
Yeah, he has he has an interesting mix of where where he'll choose to throw the the off speed pitches. Um, I think his command is typically quite good, unless you know it's just a day where he's off, and then you right. can kind of point to that as oh, the com command's not really there today. Um, but the command being there helps. The mix of pitches helps. Um, I think the way that he's able to utilize that fastball, especially especially when there is a significant variance in the off-speed pitches and what you're seeing, and then he comes at you with a fastball, and you're like, what? <laughs> What is that? What are you? What are you throwing to me? Is this is this something slow? Is this something soft? Or are you throwing me a fastball? Comparatively to guys that are throwing ninety eight to hundred, you know, pretty regularly. So, yeah, it's it's interesting in in the game as it is right now. I think to see guys like him, who find ways to continue to be effective, right? Because there's this sort of idea that if you don't throw 98, you're not a major league caliber starter. Right. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. It just means you have to get guys out in a little bit of a different way, whether it's the the selection of pitches or how you change the eye level or how you change speeds or how you even use the same pitch and place it differently uh, within and at that. You know, there's, there's, a, there's still some sort of art to the the finesse of a starting pitcher who can keep guys um, from squaring it up, even when it's a 90 mile an hour fastball instead of a 98 mile an hour fastball. All right. Those Kyle Hendricks type yeah. of players. Yeah. yeah. Well, Tara, great stuff as always. Uh, just as we wrap up here, I want to let everybody know um, that For Fantasy Sake has some gear that you can actually purchase now. Uh, the, we're the Quad City's first and only fantasy football show when we're now offering that gear. It's ready to take down a title, according to DJ. So uh, we're not uh, your run-of-the-mill fantasy football show. We give you in-depth fantasy knowledge in many different areas. Uh, check out Points in the Paint. It's going to be our fantasy basketball um, cast tomorrow night. Um, and just uh, check out some of the four fantasy sake gear uh, while it's still available. Order yours today. It's at uh, viridianglobal.com backslash collections backslash for fantasy sake or you can check out our Facebook page or our Twitter page. They're both on there uh, and it looks like there's a lot of great stuff. So thank you so much, Tara. I feel a lot better about the Cardinals and this is one of the few years that I can actually say I am excited to see Cardinals baseball. I think a lot of Cardinals fans would agree with you going into the <laughs> season for the first time feeling quite excited about what they're gonna see. So always fun to chat about it and to chat with you. So thanks for having me. All right. Awesome, Tara. Thanks, everybody. Um, tune in next week. We're going to be back to our regularly scheduled time of 830. But this has been the payoff pitch. I'm Chris Steele. Check you next week.